Hello, I'm Christian Gensel. Welcome to Talking Pictures. Talking Pictures is a loose series of interviews with filmmakers whose careers I've been following for a while, who've made films that I love, and whose stories I find fascinating. For our first episode, I spoke to director Howard Ziem. Howard Ziem is best known for his 1974 science fiction sex comedy Flash Gordon, an erotic spoof of the old Flash Gordon serials, which had one hell of a production story and remains a cult favorite to this day. Fifteen years later, it was followed by a sequel, Flash Gordon Meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders, which unfortunately wasn't very successful, even though it's a highly creative bad taste comedy in its own right. But Howard Ziem is much more than the man behind the Flash Gordon movies. Back in 1970, he made Mona the Virgin Nymph, first pornographic feature film with theatrical distribution. And together with his partner, producer Bill Osco, he was one of the pioneers of the adult movie industry throughout the 70s. Zim has recently written an autobiography called Take Your Shame and Shove It, a fascinating portrait of an era that brought immense social and moral changes, and a highly entertaining story of a man who's been the co-owner of a folk club in San Francisco, tried his hand at smuggling drugs from Mexico, worked as a nude model, and almost by accident became an important figure in the sexual revolution while trying to dodge harassment by the police and other government officials. Here's my interview with Howard Zim. Hi, Christian. Hi, Howard. How are you? Amazing. <laughs> I'm always amazed that these things work. <laughs> okay, well, I have to start out by thanking you. You you gave me such a wonderful cogent summary of my book that it kind of inspired my YouTube video. I mean, it kind of put the whole thing in context. So I have to really thank you for that. Uh, wow, that's that's good to hear. Um you're welcome. I mean, it was a it was a fascinating book. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a long read. I think it took me a couple of weeks to read it, but um... you you made me see that it was like a historical story, and uh, so that kind of I I didn't really recognize that so much uh, like I should have. But anyway, mm -hmm. thank you. <laughs> it's probably because you were, I mean, you are very close to the material, obviously. So yeah, I guess that's. Um, Why well, it feels like a personal story to you and to me, it's sort of a document from an era where a lot of things changed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a really uh, interesting time, and especially here in the United States. We're sexually we're such a backward country, um, you know that it, it's kind of amazing, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> It's true, and it, and it seems to be going up and down all the time, right? Uh, yeah, we're having the, you know, with our current presidential elections. I mean, we have one group that wants to tell women they can't get abortions even if they get raped. So it it never seems to totally change here. <laughs> yeah, it's quite sad to see, actually. Even though I think that it's, um, I think it happens in a lot of countries as. I mean, it's it's happening here in Austria as well, also in Germany. Um, a lot of right-wing parties get more and more popular. Well, I mean, quite frankly, I mean, the, the Earth is overpopulated. You know, we've got 8 billion people. They say it's going to go up to 11 billion people. Mm -hmm. And and everybody's bumping into each other, and it's like uh, animals scurrying around trying to find a place to find food, and... It's making people angry, and uh, I mean, I, I I don't know how it is over there, but 
I have to say for women in this country, so many women, you know, now have have one baby or no babies or maybe two, but a, a lot of women are are just having a dog rather than a child. And they're, <laughs> they're so much happier. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife has five dogs, so it's a little extreme, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I remember one of the pictures in the book. Um, I, don't, I, I think it's, it's a chihuahua, right? Yeah. Yeah, she loves her dogs. <laughs> But it's better than it's better than than having to pay a, a quarter of a million dollars to bring up a child. Mm, it's true. It's very expensive in America, with education and everything. I mean, it's it's slightly better over here. So, um, how long did it take you to write the book? Well, I started it about eight years ago, mm-hmm. and people had been telling me a long time. You know, you. You know, mostly they said, oh, you know, when they heard the story about how Flesh Gordon was made, they said, well, you know, you should tell that story. But then as I got into it, you know, I realized it was a lot, there was a lot more to the story. And um, so I started about eight years ago. And, you know, thankfully for the Internet, I could look up a lot of information and remind myself of stuff that I had forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that there are a few things that I got wrong, but basically I think I got most things pretty right. Um, you did an audio commentary for a Flash Gordon DVD where you tell the story of making that movie. Was that a part of, of that project? Well, no. When uh, when we came out with the uh, DVD, the company up in, in Oregon that puts it out, uh, Henstooth Video, Steve Newmark, uh, he asked me to do a uh, dialogue to put uh, you know onto the dvd which is very popular now mm-hmm. and uh that kind of actually started started me thinking about the book because it gave me a chance to kind of go through the whole thing and <clears throat> tell the story and then I, i i remember as i started doing it i started including a lot of stuff that really wasn't relevant to the movie and then his wife mentioned that well This is more than this is more for a book than for the DVD. So then, that made me start thinking. Well, maybe a book was the way to go eventually. I think the the audio commentary was the first time I ever heard that story in full. Because when I, when I came across your movies, I mean, I, I saw Flash Gordon 2 um, back in I don't know '93 or '94. It was on TV. Right. Um, It was a late night showing, and um, the, the the TV magazine didn't give it a really good review. But it, it, I don't know; it sounded interesting, so I thought, "Well, I'll have a look." <laughs> and I was fascinated by it. But it took me a while to figure out what else you did. And then, sort of at the end of the '90s, I tried finding out about more about you and and your movies and and the original Flash Gordon about the internet. Yeah, um, thanks for the internet. It 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 kind of gets it all out. Uh, out there but uh yeah i know flesh gordon 2 was sort of a uh after we made flesh gordon one the censorship in this country got to be started to get worse and worse and worse and you know we uh movie houses wouldn't even consider playing an x-rated film and we had another rating nc uh 17 mm-hmm. uh, and almost no movie houses would play that so So when we did the Flesh Gordon 2, we said, well, we'll make it R-rated. And, uh, and then, of course, when it came out and we showed it to Playboy magazine and, you know, hoping to get a, a review from them, and 
their first comment was, yeah, well, we like the movie, but where's the sex? <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, no, I just, I just, the other night I, I watched uh, the uh, Danish girl. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, it was one of the movie, the movies that got nominated for Academy Award. Mm-hmm. And it's about a transsexual and it had shots in there, uh, you know, shots through her leg and uh, you can see her pussy and, uh, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, that would have just been unheard of, uh, you know, even five years ago. That you know, so it's kind of who knows what's what's going on. But... Mm-hmm. Do you feel that your movies uh, played some small part in that evolution? Well, yeah, that's I th- I definitely think it did. I, you know, because you know, once once sex started being shown on the on the in the movie houses. Initially, it was just little art houses and things like that. But, uh, you know, there there weren't, you know, here they say, oh, there'll be rapes outside of the theater. And we have to close it down and on and on. And, uh, but yeah, it played a big part. So once people felt comfortable seeing sex, uh, you know, at first it was mainly men seeing sex, but uh, now women, women love seeing sex just as, you know, just as much and even more than men. I mean, you know, mm. I know, you know, women women have always taken, it's kind of funny because women are, I always say when that, when you're sitting at a table with, say, three guys and a girl, the focus of, of the table is towards the girl, whether you, mm. know, whether you know it or not. And they're the center of attraction. And, and they... They're, they're what's make they're what what makes sex exciting. And anyway, they they finally started to recognize. Look, and we love sex. We just don't want to be, you know, women like to have it when they want to have it for good reasons. Uh, you know, men are men have a little, uh, you know, are loaded with sperm and they're ready to go all the time. <laughs> but but you know, women have a little incubator with eggs in it, and, and uh, you know and they don't want to be fertilized all the time. That's kind of way it breaks down scientifically. You don't want to think about that because it'll ruin it for you. But uh, you know, I, I had in my book, I with the girl, the Danish girl that used to be my mistress, and I tell about when we're driving back from uh, San Francisco, and mm-hmm. you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and she says, uh, uh, "What what would you think about having some sex?" <laughs> and I, you know, and it's. It just kind of shocked me because, uh, and you know, and I met I met a a, a, a lady in her. She's got two growing uh, children in their twenties. She's in her forties. Uh, she's from Australia, and and we become friends. And she says, "Oh yeah, I, I think about sex all the time." And it, the the fact that this is this whole thing has loosened up has made people much more comfortable. And like I say, now you can have movies like The Danish Girl. And people, you know, got an Academy Award, you know, nomination for the Academy Award. So mm-hmm. things have changed drastically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think that women think about sex just as much as men do. Um, they just, I don't know, they don't act on it so often or um, they don't admit it so much. Well, you know, they, they have the, the burden of getting pregnant. Yeah. So they have to think about that. And... Uh, you know, so they're a little more careful. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you know, I had another uh, 
the girl that uh, she was a secretary at, at the my accountant's office, and I used to take her out to lunch, and we used to you know stop by my apartment every day and and have sex before we went to lunch. And then one day I said, well, let's just go out and eat. And she, oh, you don't want to have sex? <laughs> <laughs> When I talk to, especially to young women, um, I notice that they aren't so much afraid anymore to admit, for example, that they are watching porno movies or that they are interested in porno movies, which I think was different uh, during the 70s, right? Oh, yeah. No, at first it was strictly a man thing. And... Uh, it, My experience was, you know, I had, I, I mentioned in my book, I took a, the first girl I had sex with, she was a little, you know, I took her to a burlesque, uh, burlesque show when I was in Boston, mm -hmm. and she was so excited by it, I mean, she literally attacked me when we got out of the, the theater, <laughs> but uh, yeah, now, now you can go, they have these dancing bear videos and this, and you know, you see these women at the, uh, the you know, they hire male strippers and Uh, you know when the when the when the the girls are are attacking, like giving them blowjobs and this and that, and uh, <laughs> yeah, women are much much more open. Are you know there's still many women that are still frightened of sex, but for the most part, most of them are really much more open to it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, all of the the, the anecdotes in your book. Um... I mean, you're very, very honest and very open. Um, a lot of the sex stories, uh, things that happened to you, and things which um, I don't know. A lot of things which went wrong. Um, was there some point where you thought, well, maybe I shouldn't be telling this, or maybe I don't know, this should be kept a secret? Well, yeah, there were things that went through my mind, like you know, in particular the 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 story about making the dog movie. Mm -hmm. and, One friend said, "Oh, you know, you shouldn't put that in your book." But my my, more I thought about it, I said, "Well, look at this is not. I don't particularly. I don't approve of bestiality." Uh, and there was, I forget what his name was, uh, uh, an ethicist from Princeton University said, "Well, bestiality is not a bad thing because of." Of the human, it's a bad thing of because of the animal, because you know the human is doing it voluntarily, mm -hmm. whereas the animal doesn't really know why he's doing it or mm -hmm. it's doing it. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I decided, well, look at, I mean, you know, what was fascinating about the story was when when porno movies first you know started being shown here in the United States at what were called, you know, little, well, they were little 50-seat theaters, and they started to get into competition. Who, you know, whoever had the hottest show, that's where all the customers went. And it was amazing. There was an underground, and somehow within hours, I mean, the, the word would spread around the city, and I don't even know how it all happened. But, uh, oh, this theater has got this, or this theater is doing that. And so anyway, everybody was looking for something that was really hot. And then the, the theater that we were supplying our movies to, for the most part, said, well, can, uh, they asked my partner, can you make a dog movie? And Bill asked me, said, well, do you think you can make a dog movie? And I asked, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll see. So I went to... Rev Saul, which was which was an agency who was supplying me with a lot of girls, and I said, "Look at uh, at that time, I was paying fifty dollars for uh, a girl to do a fuck scene, 
and and it's kind of interesting when porno started one of the things girls would say uh, I don't do niggers and I don't do dogs mm. and, and uh, yeah that's the way it was and and kind of funny I mean niggers came before dogs you yeah know, putting them into the same category I mean that's yeah that's, well even a little worse <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> uh, but anyway so that so I said can you you know if you can get me a girl that'll do uh, you know have sex with a dog I'll pay her a hundred and fifty dollars but the next morning he calls me up and he says well I have ten girls here that'll do it <laughs> and uh, so I went you know and I hired this girl and uh, it was sort of a you know it it, 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 you know, it was kind of like you would expect. I mean, the dog didn't really know what was going on. He had a hard time getting excited. <laughs> she didn't have any uh, problem with it. But I, I had known even from girlfriends over the years who had, you know, when I was in Berkeley, my, uh, you know, a, a beautiful girl, Debbie Green, and when she would pet her, her pet dog, you know, she had no problem, run, run, uh, you know, running her hand over his penis. Mm -hmm. And I, most men would have a big problem with that. At least I, I, I never could get myself to rub my dog's penis. <laughs> but women, women have a totally different. They, they just have a totally different attitude towards. They see sex totally different than men do. Mm -hmm. And even when I was little. And it's totally naive and didn't know anything about, even didn't even know what sex was. But the word went around, well, girls girls had much less problem be, being naked than men did. Men were very ashamed to be naked. Mm -hmm. Whereas women uh, seemed to have no problem with it. So other than that, I mean, you know, none of the other things, I wasn't really ashamed of, of doing anything. I mean, sex is sex and we're a crazy animal. We have a, a scrambled brain. And the fact, you know, the fact that we cover ourselves up with clothes all the time. And I always, I, I have these discussions every day with a friend, uh, you know, not every day, once a week. And, you know, we've talked about, well, there's, there's nothing more boring than the nudist camp. <laughs> when you see everybody just nude, it's no big deal. But when you have a little bit of covering, it made you know the mystery makes it more exciting, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that's why strip shows are so exciting. You know, and uh, I decided why be? What's the big secret about? Unless there you have some kind of deformed sexual organ, why is it private? <laughs> I mean, they all look the same. And you know, and one of my favorite quotes is the the French. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Valerie Gastang, I think was his name, and they, the press asked him, they said, well, what's this about you having an affair? And his answer was, well, so what? Defended <laughs> <laughs> it right then and there. What else could they say? And that's really the way my attitude, so what? Mm. Well, imagine Bill Clinton saying that. What is your theory on, on why people are ashamed of their sexuality? You know, shame is the way society through you know government and religion in particular keeps everybody under control and um, I don't know if you ever saw there was a movie years ago called quest for fire mm -hmm. uh, and it didn't have any dialogue did you see that movie um, I've heard about it um... yeah well it, it was basically a primitive tribe 
back in those you know primitive times and and they their fire went out because of a, it, some water fell on it or whatever and they so they didn't know how to make fire and they had a fine fire mm-hmm. you know somewhere where uh, hot lava or something like that so they send one guy out to find some fire and in the beginning you you know you you see him in in his tribe uh, and some people are down by the stream and they're fucking and, and nobody even, nobody looks or cares or just, you know, on and on. And they, you know, they're all running around n- naked and sex is no big deal. So anyway, he goes out to look for fire and he finally comes across his tribe that's more advanced. And now they, this couple is having sex at this new, at this tribe that he's just discovered, but they're inside this tent having it. Mm-hmm. And the whole the whole clan is gathered around the bottom of the tent, trying to get a peek inside to see what's going on. So once it became secret, you know, it was the mystery. When it wasn't when it wasn't hidden, it, there was no mystery. As soon as there became a mystery, mm-hmm. it became exciting. I mean, you know, and I like first for myself, I like it to be exciting. I mean, I always <laughs> said the reason. The reason, you know, reason my movies became popular, I made a lot of money from it, was because of censorship. If there hadn't been any censorship, mm-hmm. everybody would have been making porno movies, and it would have been no big deal. And like it is now, I mean, uh, I guess you're you're aware of the, uh, the on the internet they have the cam girls, mm-hmm. and yeah, and there I just heard the other day there's forty thousand girls registered on these cam girl sites. Whoa. Yeah, and you know they're not—they're—they're they're beautiful girls, and most of them are, you know, a lot of them are professional girls, or they go are going to college, and they have no hangups about uh, what they're doing, and you know, and the fact that they that they're just in a room by themselves with a camera, there's no pressure on them. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are doing really wild things, and they—they talk about how you know their sexuality and their this and that, and it's no big deal. But it's, interestingly, even despite all the the omnipresence of sex, I mean, all of these cam girls, and I don't know how many porn movies are being produced every year, and you can, it's not hard to find them anymore. And with the internet, um, well, you have access to it twenty four seven, and very easily. Um, despite all that, um, I think a lot of people are still ashamed of it, or or it's still something that that is sort of forbidden. Well, I'll tell you a, a story that's not in my book. So I'm at I'm at a Starbucks and I start talking to this lady and she asked me uh, what I do and and so I said, well, I'm you know I I, I used to make porn movies mm-hmm. and it kind of shocked her. Oh, I never heard anybody admit that. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, you know, you you admit that you. Uh, You go to the Catholic Church, who we now know rapes little boys, or you know all the pedophilia that's come out from that goes on in the Catholic Church, and you don't seem to have any problem with that. But if somebody tells you that they uh, shoot people having sex, that shocks you. And uh, mm. I, I don't know if that'll ever go away. I mean, it's so ingrained into you when you're young that you always have a little bit. Even for myself, for instance, like if I'm if I'm masturbating and my wife come, comes in, 
I always make sure she doesn't know that I'm masturbating, <laughs> even though I'm sure she knows that I am. Mm. I mean, I don't, you know, make a big deal out about it. But uh, you always feel a little guilty, you know, about the, uh, you know, about your things that you do sexually, and I kind of keeps it exciting. Uh, it's the forbidden, like I say, it's the fact that it's a little bit forbidden. Mm. Uh, you know, like like the in the old days when the in the burlesque theaters. I mean, the girls didn't have the, you know, were nowhere near as overt as they are now. But um, it was very, very exciting. And they put on a whole little show, and my God, you just got so hot and horny that, you, you know, you would have orgasm after orgasm. Now you go to a, you know, like a, a, a club here, and, and, you know, the girl comes out, and she's naked right from the start, and there's no tease to it and bum, bum, bum. And, it, you know, it's still exciting. I, I don't, I used to do it all the time. I don't do it. As you get to a certain age when it's just, you know, it comes to an end, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and you still think about it, but your body physically does not respond in the same way. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, now the girls are, you know, it, 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 there's no secret to it. They're, bang, 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 they're dancing nude, and off they go. And I noticed, like, in the porno movies, you know, talking about how there's always pressure to push for a little bit more than what was seen before, and and now you see, I mean, you know, girls are, I know when we did, uh, I, I think it was Hot Cookies or one of those movies, or maybe, uh, anyway, you know, the idea of a girl taking, uh, you know, one dick in the pussy and one in the ass, mm -hmm. That was just, uh, you know, had never been done. Now girls take two dicks in the ass or a fist <laughs> up the ass. Or, uh, I mean, not a lot of girls, but but uh, every girl does anal. Mm. And I know they don't particularly like it, but they still willingly. It's kind of it's kind of a domination type of thing. I mean, if a if a guy can make a girl have anal. And I, you know, I, I'm not. I've had anal sex, but I didn't. I never found anything special about it. Mm -hmm. But, but it's sort of a domination. If a girl will let you stick your dick in her ass, and you know it's kind of painful to her, it sort of makes you feel like you're dominating her. Mm -hmm. And the fact that so many girls do it kind of indicates that, you know, it, they still like to be dominated. I think it's a it's a, an important thing for a lot of porn viewers because when I look at um, comments and discussions on various porn movies and porn actresses, um, I don't know what her name was, but I stumbled across uh, a porn actress who refused to do anal, and like there were a lot of comments where people said, "Well, um, I'm not interested in her." Basically, um, they were saying that she should do it, and it's it's not interesting unless she does it. Um, so apparently it's a huge thing. Well, yeah, no, there was a time when, you know, very few girls would do anal. And uh, when I did my movies, I always liked to include one, one anal scene, but I always had to kind of look for a special, a girl who was willing to do anal. And after I got out of the business, we had a lot of, we used our, uh, rented our house out for uh, other uh, producers to do movies here. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually an Italian company uh, came over here four or five times, used a house and they, I, I forget the girl's name, but, but he brought two, two beautiful girls from Italy 
that were going to be in his movie. And the one, the one girl, when she heard that she was going to have to do anal, you know, she said, "Oh, well, you didn't. You know, you never said I had to do that." And uh, and you know, she was very upset that she was going to be expected to, to do to do anal. She was going to work work with um, what's his name? Uh, may, I'll think of maybe as we go along. Mm. But anyway, you know, he he says to the producer, "Well, she doesn't want to." do anal and this guy was a very good you know he was a real stud he had no problem getting it up and the producer said uh, well just you know ram it into her and you know and that's what he did you know like we're saying or I'm saying the you know girls you know now it's a rare girl that doesn't do anal and, and you know and, and the way it's described you, you know you know he's so and so he rips her apart I mean, there's this whole sort of brutality type of thing that's pain. And pain has sort of become surmounted, you know, surpassed pleasure mm-hmm. as reason for watching pornography. You know, so I don't know really where this is all going. It's just like like all these beautiful girls with beautiful bodies, and now they're all covered in gross tattoos uh, <laughs> and piercings and this and that. And, you know, and some of it's kind of exciting, I mean, just because it's so out there. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it is sort of amazing how many girls ruin their, you know, ruin themselves by getting all tattooed and, you know, it's exciting for a while, but then when you look down the line, I don't know if it is so exciting. I mean, some of them, some of the wildest, wildest piercing movies comes out of Germany. Mm, that's true. Um, we have a have a huge fetish and, and BDSM scene here. And you know, and I I look at it; it's exciting. You always wonder, well, what 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 is something that you haven't had? You know, is that going to be that special, exciting, exciting thing that you you've missed? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bizarre. I mean, I always tell people, you know, you think more when you think back on your life. You know, and I had, you know, I reasonable, I you know, a good amount of of girls eventually, considering that I didn't even get laid until I was twenty one, but. And then you look back and you say, and and you know, and you had opportunities to fuck this girl or that girl, and you didn't do it. And you think more about the girls that you didn't fuck <laughs> than the ones that you did fuck. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, I had my wife and I were at this restaurant down the hill from us, and and down by the ocean, and and uh, the waitress comes up and says, "Oh, Mr. Zima, you have a a call." And I said, "You know, who the hell could?" be calling me who knows I'm here so I went to the phone and it was two girls in the other room calling me and and they said well you know we would like to have a, a threesome with you hmm. and I was with my wife and her brother and I turned and I said well you know I can't do it what about my brother and no we don't want him we want you <laughs> so I, I passed on it and I've always said Jesus what you know what the hell was wrong with me <laughs> There are some opportunities where you, you kind of think, well, I, I somehow missed that, and I don't know why. 
Well, men, men think we men think we're think men are horny all the time, and we are sort of horny all the time. But we're not always ready to have sex all the time, even mm. though we think we are. Uh, Whenever I'm shooting, when I was shooting movies, whenever a, a girl would say, oh, I only work with my husband, I would always know that I was going to have a, a problem with him getting a heart on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he think you know, he wants to see his wife being the hot porno slut. And that's kind of a fantasy in his head. But then when he gets into the situation, uh, it's hard for him to perform because you know, a, a woman can fake it for the most part, and the guy has to perform. <laughs> you know, and psychologically, you know, the light's on you and the camera's on you, and uh, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Some guys uh, can do it no sweat, and some guys have, a, you know, a lot of a lot of difficulty. I, I myself, I mean, I've had situations where I was going to, you know, fuck a girl and then I just wasn't really in the mood, and I couldn't get it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting what you say about the the fantasy, because I remember something um, Mick Blue told me. Um, he's a he's a porno actor. He's actually from Austria, but he works in America. Um, and I met him on a shoot once, and he told me that sometimes friends come up to him and they sort of complain and say, "Well, I rented a porno movie, and then you were in it, and I couldn't watch it because I know you." So it, it it sort of destroys the fantasy. You don't want to see somebody in there whom you know. Well, that is so true. And you know, I I, I was a real addict to go to strip uh, strip clubs, and I made a after a while, I made a point of not getting to know the girls because once you got to know the girl, the whole fantasy disappeared, and she was no longer exciting. And after you got to know her, you would find out, oh well, this beautiful beautiful girl hasn't been fucked in seven months <laughs> you know so the, the fantasy is what makes it work it, it's like uh and you know and that's what's what's kind of crazy about the whole taboo against porno uh, it, it, it you know and even big I, i've seen very successful actresses like gina jameson i don't know her personally but i saw her on an interview with bill riley and she's trying to explain to him that it's all fantasy. And, of course, he's got her on the... He's a very right-wing commentator, mm-hmm. and he's got her on the show, and basically, he's, you know, how, how can you do this? And, you know, what does your mother think? And blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, in the background, he's he's playing, you know, clips of her, uh, you know, in porno movies. I mean, they're not hardcore, but still, you know, he's using her sexuality to... You know, to make the uh, the uh, interview work, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, it is. It's just fantasy. Um, what, what, when you were making your movies, um, I mean, like you said, you, there were some things in there which you did for the first time, and then a lot of people sort of went on copying that and and, and doing it even more over the top. Um, when you were doing that, did you know that you were doing something very progressive? Or, or, or did it only oh, come yeah. to the hindsight? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I was always looking at magazines and, you know, and actually so much of this stuff came out of Europe and Denmark, uh, you know, like the shave pussy and the, uh, the when I did that double penetration scene and I guess it was Honey Pie with, with, with the girl and the girl that did it was uh, she was she was a ballet dancer with a New York ballet. 
Mm-hmm. And she gave up ballet, you know, her ballet dancing and became a porno star. And unfortunately, unfortunately, she died of AIDS a few late years later. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, we did this double penetration thing, and you know, it it had never been done. It, I saw I saw a double penetration thing in. Uh, I think it was Erotica was the magazine that came out of uh, Denmark. Mm-hmm. There was Cover Girl and Erotica, and but I, you know, I, I I stole a few ideas, uh, little scenarios out from them, you know, and did you know did a, a little put them in, in the movie. But but at, for for an American film, it was never it had never been seen before. Mm-hmm. So what you, and, you know, or again, you know, the okay, the two guys we're talking about fantasy, the two guys. Uh, who were fucking, uh, fucking the girl. One had no problem. We did two in the pussy, and then one in the pussy, and one in the cunt. And uh, and the one guy had a heart. He just kept losing his heart on. He just, you know. So we kept having to shoot it by, uh, you know, going out of the room. Let 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 the one guy, the blonde guy, start having sex with the girl, and then the other guy would come in and. And he could get it up, boom, boom, boom. And you know, and I asked him. I said, "Well, how do you, how do you get yourself uh, excited so quickly, so easily?" And he says, "Well, he he just could fantasize in his head, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about how dirty this was, <laughs> what he was doing. I mean, that's the word. <laughs> you know, sex mo- porno movies used to be called dirty movies, mm-hmm. and uh, so you were doing something was dirty and wrong, and somehow that made it, uh, you know." in our little screwed up minds <laughs> uh, knowing that it's dirty and wrong make makes it exciting again it's it's the, the temptation of doing something forbidden right it's dirty and forbidden and you shouldn't be doing it uh, therefore you are going to do it <laughs> <laughs> once you get something in your head which you're not allowed to do then that's the thing you keep thinking about well yeah it's like goes back to the, the girls you didn't fuck <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I also noticed it while, while reading your your book, um, especially your, your younger years, um, where you often talk about you know encounters with sex, and then people tell you, well, no, that's dirty and that's forbidden, um, and so you just become more and more obsessed with it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I when when I was in the eighth grade, when somebody first told me that boys put their things into girls to make babies, you know, I said, you know, no way, who would want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, you know, and I, at that point, we, my father was in the military, and we were stationed in Germany in Erlangen, and on a little vacation, we went to Paris, and part of the trip was to go to the Follies Bergere. It was just me and my, we left, my brothers and sisters were left back at home with a, a babysitter. So mm-hmm. I was just with my parents. And so when my mother was looking forward to, oh, we're going to the Follies Bergere. And she thought of the Follies Bergere as the can-can dancers, like the uh, uh, Lautrec uh, painting showed. And then when she heard that the girls appeared in the nude, uh, they didn't. They weren't really totally nude, but it was uh, 
you know, essentially they were nude. And she said, oh, my God, you know, we, I don't think he should be allowed to go. Uh, the, those dirty, filthy French and their low morals. That's what she said. <laughs> And uh, but you know, you know, which is why ben, Benjamin Franklin, are you know, our one of our, our great early statesmen, they couldn't get him out of Paris because <laughs> he loved he loved you know how the dirty, filthy French. <laughs> but I, you know, I was I was very in, in, intimidated by. So even after you know, I, I went to the show and I. Suddenly, you know, when the curtain opened up and uh, these girls came down on trapezes, and I had never seen a naked woman before in my life, you know, and suddenly my dick is hard as a, you know, a little rod of steel, and I'm embarrassed to let my parents know what's happening, and I cover it up with a, uh, you know, a program, and it stayed that way until about three <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and you know, it was such a wonderful feeling. I just. I wanted to get it more and more and more, but I didn't really know, you know, how to do it. And then I discovered, you know, uh, girly magazines, which were just basically girls in bikinis. I always laugh, um, you know, I, you, you're probably too young to remember, but when Bridget Bardot first appeared uh, at the Cannes Festival wearing a bikini, I mean, that was revolutionary, and oh, my God, the, you know, she wore this bikini and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, so I looked up pictures of Bridget Bardot on the, uh, at the Cannes Beach, and no girl would possibly wear the bikini she wore was about a half an inch below the belly button. <laughs> and that was just totally scandalous. Mm. But actually, the European, the European magazines were the ones that kept pushing – you know the envelope a little bit, you know, and then there was uh, there was a magazine again from uh, from uh, D Denmark or Sweden called Cover Girl, and uh, they were the first magazines to show you know the, a girl with pubic hair, mm -hmm. and uh, I was a practice thief to put it mildly, and I you know I'm obsessed to get these magazines so I could take them home and jack off. And so I, I would steal the whole collection out of the bookstore. I, I was so I, I was so young looking and innocent looking that nobody suspected that I was, a, you know, a little thief. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, times have definitely changed because, I mean, when I was that age, um, it was easy for me to go into a shop and and get those magazines and, uh, you know, generally have more access to those things that that are interesting once you become, I don't know, a 12 or 13 year old boy. And, and when I was in college, I had a, a roommate from, uh, he was from Brazil, uh, Manny Pena, and uh, he was a very sociable, you know, very well-adjusted uh, guy and um, good soccer player, played the piano, very charming, girls just loved him. And he, you know, he told me, he said, well, when he was 16, his father took him to a whorehouse. Ew. Had him the the woman teach him how to have sex, <laughs> and you know here you know I don't what your experiences were, but no way would that happen. Mm. Well, it sounds strange to me too, but <laughs> yeah. Well, it may be different for for some people. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, it is. It's uh, like 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 for instance. Well, like I talk a little bit about it in my in my book. Uh, 
you know, I know like going to the whorehouse, the, the girls, the window, the girls in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And people think, oh, my God, these are horrible low-life girls. They're being forced to have sex and they hate it and blah, blah, blah. But that's not true at all. I mean, you know, one girl, we before I went in, it was... And uh, first we sat down and had a cup of tea. She was a college girl, you know, and then I, you, you know, in, in Amsterdam, they all say, you know, how much is it? Said, 50 gilda. It was 50 gilda yesterday. It'll be 50 gilda tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and it was, you know, and, uh, you know, after we had, uh, you know, a cup of tea, we went and had sex and uh, that was that and another girl, an oriental girl and, you know, I love to eat pussy, and I'm sucking on her pussy, and, you know, she starts, uh, her hips start moving, and I know she's enjoying it, and so I was planning, you know, I didn't want to have an orgasm, because I was hoping to visit, you know, many girls that day, and I didn't want to wear myself out, And but she, she wouldn't let me leave. She insisted that I fuck her. <laughs> Because she was enjoying it, and then another girl did the same thing. I mean, I, you know, she said, "Oh, oh, I like, I like, I like it." Have my pussy sucked. So, you know, that, that of course there's the other side of it. You know, I always thought, like, like in this country, we're so afraid of prostitution, and so you get this kind of prostitution where they're bringing girls up that are basically under control of a pimp and being beaten if they don't go out and bring in enough money or this or that. And Mm. I know in France, uh, you know, they tolerated the girls, but pimps were absolutely not allowed. Same in, uh, no pimps allowed. And same in Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. no pimps. Now I see that they're closing, uh, they're trying to close down a lot of the red light district. So, Mm. Like yeah. you were saying earlier, there there's always this pressure to. I don't know why why uh, you know you look at the Muslim world, and you know, and you see these these poor women being forced to wear the black sacks all day long in hundred degree heat, mm. and, and somehow. You know, and and people argue, well, they, it's their religion, and they they don't mind doing it, and, and that's bullshit. Because you know damn good and well, if they took off their hijab, uh, they'd get acid thrown in their in their face or a good beating or whatever. Mm. Uh, but there are always people like trying to argue that uh, that these women have no problem with it. You know, I, even here in this country, okay, you'll see, you know, like I go to Starbucks a lot. I, I I don't know if you have Starbucks. It's a coffee mm-hmm. shop. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I'll see here and there there'll be a Muslim couple come in, and you know, and I've seen several. Okay, I see the girl has got her headscarf on, but her face is just dolled up to the hilt. I mean, she's got the the lipstick and the eyelashes, and because that's girls, women want to be attractive. That's what mm. the whole thing about. I mean, if they're not attractive, what is there in life for them? <laughs> and then I saw another situation. A family, a Muslim family came in, and it was a man, a, a, a young daughter, a young son, and the mother. And the mother has got her headscarf on. And it was obvious the hierarchy in the family was, well, there was the father. And then there was this, the son, who was maybe seven years old. And then the mother and the daughter were basically just there. <laughs> <laughs> um, they didn't have a say. They just kind of 
had their place and that was it. And what a what a way what a what a way for a life to be. Mm. Yeah, they have weird laws too. Like, um, you need two women in court in order to have that voice count as like similar to one man. Yeah, you would need two women to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we have one comedian here, uh, Bill Maher. Uh, mm -hmm. he, uh, and uh, he had a, a Muslim lady on about two weeks ago and and she's been uh you know writing uh, writing about you know the plight of the of muslim women and you know and she says you know well if she went back if she went back to iran or wherever her life would be definitely in danger mm -hmm. but you know she's saying yeah this is just, you know it's just bullshit that these women you know, they're forced to accept this, whether they like it or not. And that was the same thing. You know, we have the same thing here with the Mormons. They take a 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl, and she's forced to marry some 80-year-old lizard. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, it's crazy. Very crazy, Christian. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, you have weird incidents like um, the, the, the Janet Jackson incident uh, from a couple years oh. back where you, <laughs> where you saw her nipple on TV. Oh my God! I, I make a joke about that. I said, "Well, we had 9/11, and then we had 2/2, and they, were both, they both almost brought the country to its knees." It, it, actually, it seems like it. I mean, people were so shocked, and they couldn't oh. talk about anything else. Like, oh yeah. my God, there, oh my there's God. a girl who has nipples. We showed her nipple. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy running for Donald Trump. Uh, you know he, how disgusted he was when he saw a woman nursing her baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of get the feeling that grown men start to cry once they see, I don't know, an exposed breast or something, something which everybody knows exists, but once they see it, you know, it's it's just too much for them. <laughs> yeah, well, well, men, you, you know, you start out life, you're you, you know sucking on your mother's tits. And, you, you, you know, I, in my case, I mean, I was very close to my mother, even though she wasn't around very much. But, you're, you know, your connection is with your mother. Mm. And uh, men, maybe they didn't get breastfed enough, but this obs obsession that men have with tits. You know, in, in Flesh Gordon, too, I tried to make a joke out of that by, you know, I had the Dale's, you know, Dr. Jerkoff is doing these big breast experiments. He's got the girl with the big tits, and Dale says, oh, I know how important that is. And, and you know, I'm, I was trying to be cynical, but American reviewers didn't get it. <laughs> they just couldn't, they couldn't see that, they, you know, that, that um, I mean, I always felt like, you know, Playboy magazine with his obsession with with women having their tits blown up, uh, and uh, even my wife went and had her tits blown up. Mm -hmm. Eventually, she you now she's taken them out. Yeah, men have this. Well, Marie Smith, who was the the producer in Flesh Gordon, too. I mean, he just, he's just he, England. He's from England, so that kind of explains a little bit. But <laughs> he's just obsessed with big tits. And you know, we, we we would be having a meeting somewhere, you know, at a restaurant and. A girl with big tits would walk by outside, you know, go past the window, and he would jump out of his seat and run down the street. After, you know, he would 
you know, he, he very charming guy, but you know, he would give her his card and tell her that, you know, he would like to use her in a movie. And, you know, he, he didn't do porno movies. He just did straight movies. But if he, if he saw a girl with big tits, he just went berserk. <laughs> well, just like that's why, that's why I we made the second flesh Gordon. That's why, uh, you know, I wrote that scene, the baby land scene with the, the mother the girl, the, they all had the big tits. Mm. And I kind of did that to make Maurice happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did the, the whole sequence uh, with the with the memory mountains. Um, yeah, I mean it's By right way, it's right on the you know, nose. It's it's uh, well, I mean Doctor Jerkov goes crazy. I mean they're, they're chased by a monster, and he's like, "Well, about these beautiful mountains." <laughs> yeah. Do you remember in that scene, because we, uh, when the MPAA got a hold of the picture, we wanted to, even after we went through all this trouble and, you know, didn't have much, uh, show much sex or, and, you know, cut out of all kinds of ideas to get an R rating, um, they wouldn't give us an R rating. Mm -hmm. And we kept having to cut stuff out. Now, I know we sent prints off to Europe before we did the the uh, the final cuts and in that memory mountain scene there was there was one of the nipples shoots up a, a big spout uh, mm -hmm. a, a comes out of it yeah it does oh that was there yeah yeah I've seen it oh good okay yeah, dr Jerko yeah, pushes it or he presses on it and and is very excited that milk comes out of it yeah mm -hmm. but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at a certain point, I, I was very tuned in to making a statement. And even though, you, you know, the, the porn movies didn't get the recognition that regular movies would make, I, I know that suddenly a lot of things that now, you know, that are now accepted was because of the movies I made. Mm -hmm. Um, did you follow what the other uh, directors were doing? I mean, there were a couple of, of pioneers in the field, like like Anthony Spinelli or the Mitchell brothers. Did you did you go yeah. and see their movies? And f well, yeah, I, I knew the Mitchell brothers, and I met Spinelli. Uh, but uh, I was I was never maybe because I was an army brat. We moved around, but I was never a person to you know, join a group very much. I got to know Suze Randall quite well, but all those people came after. The only one that was a little bit in front of me was uh, Alex Dorenzi up in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But we we kind of, Bill and I, surpassed, we became, we, we surpassed him. We became the, more, the dominant maker of porn films. And I always kind of credit it because Like the Beach Boys song goes, uh, I wish they could all be California girls, Cause, you know, because especially here in Southern California where it's sunny all the time and mm -hmm. a girl just cannot be fat and ugly. <laughs> <laughs> She wants to survive. <laughs> and uh, especially on the West Side. I mean, it's just uh, it's just amazing how many beautiful girls there are. So we had this this wonderful source of beautiful girls willing to do pornography uh because you know girls girls love to be seen i mean that uh <laughs> yesterday i mean i a girl goes walking down the street in, in her bikini I mean, they can it's warm enough here to you know and she you know and her her butt is almost totally showing and 
I had to kind of laugh to myself even <laughs> back in the when I used to go to the burlesque house in in Boston. I never got to see anything that you know that blatant. <laughs> Did you ever hear of uh, what in Flesh Gordon? There was a girl, a girl named Nora Viterneck. She played Queen Amora. Mm. Well, I've seen and, her in Flesh uh, Gordon, obviously, but I I don't know her name. Yeah, you know, never ran into her. Yeah, she was deported. Mm -hmm. uh, for being too uh, obscene for America, but uh, yeah, what, she was a real. What did she do? What others didn't do? Well, she did a lot of porn movies. When mm -hmm. I first met her, you know, she she was oh, I like this one. Oh, I like that. You know, talking about the guys that were in the room. I mean, she liked them all. <laughs> and Mona came out in in 1970, and. It, and it was about two years or three years later when the whole porn chic um, thing went off. When when suddenly there was there was a huge interest in, but a lot of attention was on other films like like Deep Throat, uh, Gerard Damiano, or Be Behind the Green Door and stuff like that. Um, were you disappointed that people were well, focusing yeah, I on was other to people? Some degree, uh... Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I you know, something I was never a person that was in it to make money. I, I kind of made money accidentally. Mm -hmm. I, I got into, you know, that was part of the reason Bill and I kind of parted ways to some degree. Because, you know, he wanted to go on to other things and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he was only, mostly into making biker movies or, or becoming a movie star, whatever his fantasy was. <laughs> uh but uh, yeah, when when well, when I made Mona, at that point, I you know the police were following me, and at first they didn't do anything, and nobody got busted. But then you know then they started to clamp down. You know I was hauled into court, and you know, the cops were you know they were telling lies and doing you know they didn't give a shit if you were guilty or innocent or whatever they just mm. thought you were disgusting and needed to be put in prison so i i decided you know look at uh, while the court case was going on both bill and i were both arrested but he was he was uh, released right away because he said well he didn't make the movies he sold them but i made the movies and uh, so they they kept prosecuting me and I had three charges against me. Uh, the the big one was conspiracy to commit oral copulation. <laughs> yeah. uh, oral copulation or a blowjob was a $50 fine. It was a misdemeanor. But if you told somebody to give somebody a blowjob, that was a conspiracy, which was punishable by 15 years in prison. <laughs> so... You know, when I heard that and saw what the situation, well, you know, I, I was, I was not, I, I was too stupid not to be intimidated. And after writing this book, and I can see all the things I did, <laughs> some of them which still give me nightmares, not all the time, but, you know, I said, good God almighty, I could have wound up in prison in Mexico for four years with smuggling grass or, mm -hmm. and, you know, all that little stealing, petty th stealing I did. And, and I always got away with it. I never got caught. 
So I, I kind of thought I was just too smart to get caught. And so even when I started to get in trouble with making the porno movies, I, I had this attitude that that I would always win, at, you know, no matter what, they couldn't put me away. And, you know, fortunately, I, I, I did always win. Yeah, it's, it's one of the aspects I really like about your story. Um, when seeing it as a story, I mean, reading it as a book, it's a fascinating story where you sort of stumble from one predicament into the next and you always come out fine. Um, I mean, things happen and things are difficult, but somehow everything turns out fine. And that sort of makes it a very enjoyable read. Yeah, I know. It, well, that was the luck part of it. And, you know, and I, I did. I always came out fine and, and got away with whatever craziness I was doing. And, you know, and looking back on it, I mean, now now marijuana is, you know, they sell, they have a marijuana store here in Malibu. Mm. And things do change. I mean, when... You know, I never, I could never put a needle into my side. I never got into hard drugs. Um, and when I first tried marijuana, when I was in Berkeley, it took three times before you got, I mean, it was so mild. It, you know, it was like you just got a little buzz after after trying it the third time. And then you say, well, this is all it is. I mean, this is, this is less than having a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. But then eventually, grass got stronger and stronger and stronger, and eventually it, it was like a hallucinogenic. Uh, you know, it really could, uh, you know, get you wiped out. And then, of course, later on, when uh, cocaine came into the scene, um, you know, they, everybody, oh, well, Freud used cocaine and blah, 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 and it's not addictive. But my wife got so hooked on cocaine that it, it became a utterly utter disaster and mm. it uh cost me you know, you know with rehab and everything else uh, you know thirty thousand dollars to get her cleaned up and she's been a aa so you know alcoholics anonymous she goes every twice a week mm-hmm. and she's been sober for 27 years and she's you know yeah that was that was the hardest part to read i think the story about your wife and that was very intense Yeah, it just got, it just got, I mean, she became, uh, you know, that's all she could see was cocaine. Mm. I mean, I had, I, I didn't write about it so much in my book, but I mean, God, I mean, Earl Miller, the penthouse photographer, I mean, he got totally fucked up and, you know, lost a lot of money. And uh, I mean, all kinds of people got totally screwed up and. I mean, one of the reasons I, I wound up, you know, not not associating so much with Suze Randall and her husband Humphrey. I mean, Humphrey was, you know, started bringing ecstasy when ecstasy first came on, and you know, these things all they all they all seem nice at first, and then you know, and then the next time, you know, that you know, you can see where it's going, and you know, and I for some reason or other, I I was never really drawn to drugs. I mean, I did smoke grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, you know, I eventually just came to a point. I said, you know, you know what happens? You you smoke a joint, then you you get hungry, then you get tired, then you go to sleep. And they said, you know what? Well, you're going to be sleeping permanently soon enough. You know why rush into it? <laughs> so I don't use any. If I have two glasses of uh, wine a year, that's a big year for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, your addiction was sex, I think. 
Yeah, that might. Yeah, and and kind of that's interesting that you bring that up because people will say to me, "Well, you're a you were addicted to sex," and I say, "Yeah, <laughs> I sure was. And I'm glad I was." And and, uh, and there's no better addiction. Yeah, there, and, there are much worse things to get addicted to. <laughs> you know, now with birth control and and what have you, there, you know, and unfortunately with the AIDS thing, I mean, everybody's got to use rubbers or what have you. Uh, I mean that's kind of sad, but if it wasn't for that, I mean what what's what's wrong with having lots of sex? Mm. You know, in the in the 80s, things got we you know we would have uh, you know girls would be here, and you know I I could just go up on the couch and stick it in, and <laughs> you know and have a little you know oh you know the girl would say well you know yeah there's something nice about just having a quickie once in a while. <laughs> And my wife was always my my wife was when 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 we got married or we got together. Judy, you know, Judy was uh, very sexual, although she never got very. She didn't. She liked it on her own terms. She didn't like to go to a club and have to have some guy come up to her this or that. But she never ever had any problems with me having sex unless it was with an old girlfriend. She. She didn't like the idea of me having sex with an old girlfriend because she mm. sort of felt nervous that I was going to be heading off. But she would even, you know, like at one of my birthdays, she brought me home a girl to fuck. <laughs> and I didn't fuck her. That's one of the ones I think back on. And I say, well, you know, why didn't I fuck that girl? <laughs> you know, you know, she never had any, uh, you know, never put any bars on having sex but then when she got on the cocaine everything just changed and i think i write about the the two friends uh we a couple girls but we had a couple strippers came by the house after they finished working at the little club in santa monica called the ball that's where my wife used to dance and Mm -hmm. And and all the the you know the, of course the guys me me and the two guys you know we're all thinking about sex sex sex, and the girls are thinking about cocaine 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 cocaine, <laughs> and uh, you know it finally got to after two or three hours, you know the one guy started putting a little spoon of cocaine on the tip of his dick, just <laughs> <laughs> so the girl would go down and sniff it off of his dick. That, that's his. <laughs> Much of, you know, that's as far as he got. <laughs> but yeah, I heard as well, it takes away your sex drive, which is why it would never interest me as a drug. <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys, uh, you know, oh, you just get me some cocaine and I'll go like a, you know, like a rabbit. But it never turns out that way. You, you, you know, you, you, you get high on cocaine and, uh, you know, you can't get it up. Mm. Same with quaaludes. Uh, I'm curious about a couple of, of movies you mentioned in your book, um, some of the early ones. Do those loops which you shot still exist somewhere? Can they be seen somewhere? Oh, yeah, the loops? Uh, yeah, there was a collector named Sam Stetson. Mm -hmm. And he died a, about four or five years ago. But I know he had almost he had a huge collection of them. Mm-hmm. I had I had I had a lot of the negatives, and he actually I sent the negatives to him, and he made a copy off of it, all of them. And and then when we had the fire in '93, all that stuff burned up. Mm. So all those negatives, you know, are gone. But 
but I know there are copies of those loops around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were pretty, I mean, compared to what's being done now, they were pretty mild. But, you know, there's a certain excitement in seeing, you know, the oldies, the oldies but goodies. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think just for historical context, it's interesting to see how how it developed and especially when, I don't know, like Mona is, is seen as the first feature film in porn. Um, and it would be interesting to see everything that led up to it. Yeah, it, it was because uh, when I first got into it, you know, I, I, we made what, you know, we're called beaver movies. Beavers are, mm-hmm. are, are, is a naked girl with her legs clamped shut. So you can't see what's between her legs, but you can see her pubic hair, which is a beaver. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but, you know, it didn't take much to encourage the girls to open their legs. So, you know, that went to the spread beaver. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, and then the next big event was when girls would reach down and pull their lips open so you can see the pink. You know that was like showing pink. I remember one time I was at the at the Mitchell Brothers Club at the Old Farrell in San Francisco, and and one of the girls was uh, telling the other girl that you know the, to show pink. They weren't doing that at that point, and so that was a big, uh, you know, the hot new thing. But you know now in L.A., girl, strippers still don't show pink. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll spread their legs, but. Um, it's a rare it's a rare girl that ever shows pink. <laughs> but then you know, and then it went to the you know, the the penetration, the first the you know, the the you know, just a girl sticking something in, a dildo or this or that. So, you know, like when we were selling loops, the the, the next thing that happened was well, some theaters were you know, were willing to show girls putting a dildo or a Coke bottle or anything in sticking it in our pussy, but some were afraid to do that because they were afraid of getting busted, because that was you know over the top. Mm-hmm. So they, you know it seemed to be you know the police weren't going to bust you if you were just showing spread beaver or but if you put something in there, uh, you know that was too much. But then nobody got busted doing that. Then it started doing things like um, like pretending that the girl was giving a blowjob and you know, just showing the back of her head. Um, so you couldn't see that the dick was in her mouth or I would do stuff like put a little whipped cream on the end of the guy's dick Mm -hmm. so that when the girl came away, the whipped cream was gone. So, you know, that she must've had it in her mouth, but the fact that they couldn't see it, how could they bust you? Mm -hmm. And, And then there was, I was telling you before how the word of mouth went around. There was a, a theater, a theater in Hollywood called the Drake Theater, and the the word went around that they got a few hardcore porn movies from San Francisco from Dorenzi, and uh, they were just showing them intermittently. In other words, you'd go to see the show, but uh, you know most of the show would be just regular Bieber movies, but then they would stick in a uh, hardcore movie. And and the theater and and his little theater was packed. You couldn't get in, and uh, you know. And then he didn't get busted, and so you know, pretty soon he was showing all porno movies. And so then everybody wanted a porno movie. That's kind kind of how the whole 
thing got started. So we were shooting shooting for this little uh, this the, the theaters that we were supplying. They they wanted porno movies, and um, then of course the the first porno movies didn't. You, you know, the, you just the guy would be fucking, but you wouldn't see any cum shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, then the people wanted to see the guys wanted to see that the guy actually had an orgasm. So that's how where that you know. So then, within three four weeks, it evolved to well, the guy had to pull it out and and and, and shoot his uh, his sperm all over the girl or whatever uh, to prove that he had an orgasm. Mm-hmm. But you know, so then that one, you know, and then there was that other little things came in, you know, like um, I I uh, had a little bit of an you know an engineering background, and I was able to put together a little apparatus so that I could shoot CinemaScope on sixteen millimeter, mm-hmm. and uh, so the, you know that kind of was a new little thing, uh, you know, widescreen porn, and. Um, so it kept pushing, 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 and then of course the uh, the first features came. The first the first feature that I mean we did a thing called uh, the Virgin Runaway, mm-hmm. and it just had it was with it it just had one little short you know little piece in it that had actual hardcore porn, but most of the movie was you know without porn. And then there was another movie that, that, that some mafia people had a theater and called the Pono Theater, P-O-N-O, and they they had a they were showing a porn movie. But the, the, that's when the LA Vice started coming down because uh, uh, one of the, I mean that, to the LA's credit, they didn't want anything to do with the mafia, so they shut them down. And then Mona came about. We we hadn't we were just starting to get into features, and a guy named Bucky Searles gave Bill a little script called Mona the Virgin Nymph, and Bill told me to take a look at it, and uh, you know even though Bill and I parted ways, me and Bill Bill had a lot of very positive things about him. I mean you know he sort of had a more a, a good vision of how to push things forward. And uh, I took a look at the script, and I said, "Yeah, you know, I like the script." And didn't really think much about it. It was just another another way to show pornography in a little movie. And the fact that this was a little script that actually had a little psychological touch to it didn't really even enter into the into my thinking. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and anyway, we were, then Mike Benvenisti was working for us at that time and just editing the loops and uh he was working on a documentary we were doing called hollywood blue mm-hmm. and he was taking so long doing it that that whole era the you know the, the that era came about because people started saying, well look at in a documentary you're not really selling sex you're selling a story about people selling sex you see what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Hollywood Blue was supposed to be, there was rumor that there were a lot of um, actors and actresses uh, that had done porno before they became stars. And uh, the only one we were able to actually find that actually did was 
Chuck Connors did a little gay film, and and then Marilyn Monroe did a a little thing called uh, the Apple and the Coke, but that was just you know mm-hmm. her naked rubbing the apple. Anyway, but then when Mike heard that we were going to do a feature, he begged, "Oh, let me uh, let me direct the feature." You know, he was looking to expand his career. So I said, "Well, sure." You know, so I let I did. I always did the camera work. Uh, and, you know, our whole crew was, you know, me doing the camera work. Uh, he would basically tell the actors where to walk and what to do. And then when it came to the sex, you know, I would, I, I basically directed and edited it and everything all at the same time. I mean, I was, you know, okay, you do this, now you do that, boom, boom, boom. So, so we worked very well as a little, a little team that way. And then Mike, Mike was, um, you know, he was a real movie buff. I wasn't a movie buff at all. I was just a sex buff. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, and, and then he went, when he went, edited the film, he put some nice little touches to it, especially the music and things like that. And then we, you know, we did that little little scene with the Mona giving her father the blowjob and, and even that was sort of, to a large degree, was accidental because the guy, her father, was a guy named Bob Mantell, who was basically an S&M freak. He was also a sound man. I knew him from other shoots. So anyway, he played the role of the father, but he didn't want his face to be seen. <laughs> so he holds the, the newspaper up so you can't see his face, which really made a wonderful psychological. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Because, you know, this you know, secretive thing and... Um, so there again, you know, a lot of the picture was, you know, was a little bit accidental, but then it had Mike put this, you know, the nice music together and the editing and this and that. And, and you know, and anyway, when we were done with the movie, we made that whole movie for 4000 or a little over, just under $5,000. And, uh, you know, I just thought of it as another, another porno movie. And then Bill says says to me one day that he's going to take it over to Lou Shearer to see if he can sell it to him. Lou Shear was a, uh, uh, you know, he owned a lot of theaters across the country, mm-hmm. big, you know, big regular theaters, not little mini theaters. And Bill came back uh, an hour later or two hours later, and I thought he was nuts. I, you know, I, I, I was always sort of intimidated from my early days of, being afraid of going on stage, and I always had a, a little bit of fear of authority or whatever you can call it. And uh, I, you know, I said, "Oh my God, he's going to be insulted that you would bring this little piece of shit over to him." <laughs> um, you know, wasting his time with that. But you know, Bill, Bill, that's why Bill and I worked very well together. Bill had the balls to do things that I wouldn't have done. I was good at, I was very good at making the movies. But but he was very good at selling them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he came back two hours later and uh, he said, "Yeah, I just sold Mona and Hollywood Blue for for a hundred thousand bucks." And you know, I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> and that, that's how we, you know, then we went on to do uh, with that money. We went on to do Flesh Gordon, or at least start Flesh Gordon. Mm-hmm. I guess you read the story. I mean, that kind of all got out of hand, but. But then, you know, after that, you know, then deep, two years later, deep, deep Throat came out, and Deep Throat was a big hit because of, it was just such a, 
you know, the idea of a girl putting a, a dick all the way down her throat was just totally unheard of mm -hmm. uh, and had never been seen before. So, you know, that, and then when the New York police uh, blocked off the street and wouldn't allow people to get to the theater, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, being uh, forbidden made it super, super popular. Mm -hmm. And uh, it became a huge, huge hit. And then the Mitchell brothers up in San Francisco, you know, in the beginning, we were supplying the Mitchell brothers with their loops when they were just getting started. And then they started making their their own stuff. And they were making that Green Door movie. And there again, they didn't know what they had. You know, the Marilyn Chambers uh, came in for the part and uh, uh, they hired her and she didn't even know that she was going she had no idea that she was going to be the ivory soap girl mm -hmm. so that when, when when it came out that the ivory soap girl which was sort of the essence of american purity was in a porno movie <laughs> everybody flocked to see that movie and uh you know so they went on you know to do their thing unfortunately they're both dead when you look at your movies um what would you say, what style did you bring to your movies? What What's the the Howard Zeeb touch that you... Well, you know, my, my theory was the idea of a, of a script in a porno movie was, was ridiculous. You know, a, a few of the people can kind of act, but there's really no great actors. And mm. maybe there are, but, you know, like Ron Jeremy actually was trained as an actor. Uh, But anyway, when you go to see a porno movie, even now people, you know, I, I know even with my movie, you know, they'll they'll fast forward through, you know, the teaser part to get right to the sex. Mm -hmm. so, so I said, so what's the point of what's the point of having a big complicated script, you know, because you know where it's going, uh, you know, the idea of a of a script, there has to be a, a, a little bit of tension that you don't know what's going to happen. In a porno movie, well, you know what's going to happen. She's going to get fucked. <laughs> so, you know, so then, and then the other thinking, well, it was a little like going to a burlesque show. You don't want to just see one dancer for two hours. You want to see, you know, six or seven girls. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I kind of made my, that's why they were called loop carriers. So I put together little stories. Uh, you know that that would allow me to have uh, four different you know uh, isolated stories like you know like the magazine publisher is l looking at stories for his magazine and then we visualize them so so it allowed me to have uh, it was called loop carrier so it allowed me to have a a little erotic story with a different girl you know so I could have four five six seven different girls mm -hmm. and four different. To, totally different scenarios. Like I always had a, you know, I always had, a, you know, a boy-girl series, a lesbian scene, uh, you know, often an S&M scene, uh, uh, this or that, you know. So I want, it was the variety that made it exciting. So that's why some people refer, re, refer to me as the master of the loop carrier. Mm, I see. <laughs> What I find interesting when I see your camera work is, um, because you write in your book that you've uh, you've worked as a photographer before you went into movies. 
yeah and I, I sort of see that eye of a photographer often when you you frame a shot like you have have very interesting camera angles i mean i i i, I see like you say in your book you're not a professional cameraman but um you, you somehow find an interesting way to show things yeah you know that came from in the back of my mind when i went and started shooting baby pictures in the back of my subconscious mind i knew I, where i was going i I, I was trying to get myself into making, shooting uh, girly movies. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but then when I got into doing camera work, you know, my first movie, I'm very ner nervous and the things on the tripod and that's the way everybody shot. You know, they had the camera on the tripod and they just zoom in and out. But, you know, being a, uh, a voyeur all my life, you know, <laughs> the magazines and the strip, you know, the burlesque shows and this and that. I knew what was exciting to me. I knew what I wanted to see. I knew what was exciting to me to look at. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I took the camera off of the tripod and, and my, I, when I first did it, I didn't understand that the, you know, the camera couldn't be shaking because, you know, the whole screen would be shaking. So my first, my first uh, attempts at that were pretty bad. But still, I mean, it, it allowed me to get good angles, and then I learned how to use uh, wide-angle lens, lenses to uh, be able to get uh, get the camera right up next to the girl's body. And, uh, and you know, and some people thought it distorted the, you know, the, it distorted the girl's face or this or that. But other people, like friends I had who were, who were actual trained artists, you know, they 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 thought you know the composition, the 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 angles and the composition was tremendous. And so, and you know, and I I think a lot of people that's what people liked about my films. I mean, you you never knew where you know it was always a surprise what was going to be the next shot. Mm -hmm. Edit a porno movie, it was very simple. I mean, you know, you sit there with, you know, we had a cam table, so you hit the button to roll the footage forward and the other your other hand is on your dick. <laughs> as, soon as, dick as soon as your dick starts getting bored, it's time to make a cut. No, that's advice for a how to book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how to make a porn movie. Very simple. Well, you know, there again a lot of people think, in uh, myself, I mean, uh, you know, oh, anybody can make a porn movie. And, you know, and I tried a couple of times, uh, you know, I, it started to become a little bit boring because, you know, I'm shooting hundreds of these things. And a couple of times I hired other people to do the camera work. And then, you know, they would come back with, you know, just totally unusable footage. And uh, stupidly, I didn't take the trouble to train train them how to do it. Mm -hmm. I just thought, well, anybody, everybody knows how to make a porn movie because I'm thinking how I do it. I just take shots of what turns me on. But everybody can't make a porn movie. Mm -hmm. You know, and even like my partner, Bill, Bill Asko was going to do shoot still, shoot the stills when I would make a, you know, I would do the camera work and then he would shoot some stills so he could for eight millimeter box covers and he would frame the subject the you know the girl would be way down in the corner of the, <laughs> of the frame i mean he just had no you know i i just thought everybody knew how to do it just seemed something natural anybody could do uh do that and and but um composition but not everybody can i mean that's uh 
you know, and then as time went on, I mean, I became good friends with, uh, you know, Suze Randall and Earl Miller, and I saw how they, you know, they were sort of a, a, a much more polished. My, my, you know, my my feeling, talking about style, see, I thought I never liked Playboy because I thought it was too too polished and too perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Hustler came out, I liked that much better. I mean, it was, you know, rough and raunchy. And the European magazines, I mean, you know, rough and raunchy. Uh, you know, this, the idea of, I have a friend, you know, like, you know, he he likes, um, you know, stuff like Emmanuel. And, I, you know, and I, mm-hmm. and I, well, you know, basically you like sadomasochism seen through a cheesecloth. So, <laughs> Whereas, you know, I would say, like, you know, I'd like, I want to show, you know, I'll show it to you as it is. I'm not going to, like, try to make it, uh, you know, tone it down. Mm-hmm. Although even that, I, I know when I was in Cannes with my, uh, with Flesh Gordon, there was, a, there was a Dutch film that was there at the same time. And, uh, you know, and there was some guy... I, I don't know. He was a Holocaust survivor or whatever, but his whole thing was being punctured by needles being pushed into him and this and that. Of course, now that's not a, now you see that all the time. <laughs> but I couldn't watch that at that time. But I mean, you know, God, some of the things you see now, it's just um, who knows where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of Flesh Gordon, I mean, that's sort of the movie which you are most famous for, I guess, except for Mona, uh, because that was uh, first. And people are still talking about Flesh Gordon. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, you know, you think about it, there still is not another p- picture like that. You know, and there again, I mean, it kind of it came about almost accidentally. Uh, You know, at that time, I Mike Ben Mike Benvenisti wrote the, the script, and I gave him off three weeks to write it, and he basically just copied uh, Flash Gordon's trip to, to Mars, and uh, and he you know he missed a lot of obvious things that would have made it better, but you know it had a but then what happened when we started putting it together, it, it was almost uh, I I just kind of lucked into this little cadre of up-and-coming talent. Uh, one of Mike uh, uh, Benvenissi's friends was, uh, uh, what was his name? Jesus. Anyway, he, he was a student at USC Film School, and he had and, and he had built this monster as part of a school project. Uh, you know, he knew uh, a lot of these, Mike Miner, and mm-hmm. um, he brought him in, and Mike Miner was a, uh, was this kind of high-energy gay guy. He died of AIDS. I, I didn't know he was gay. I mean, I didn't care if he was gay or not. Mm-hmm. But he was he was just, he was one of these people that could just, he came into the office and he started sketching out things like uh, Wang's costume or the Pinosaurus ship. And, I mean, you know, boom, 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 and three minutes, there it is. And he just had this energy. So then he, he you know, he suggested... Uh, You know, we we needed to rent a soundstage to put it together. We had never done anything like that, and 
but, but you know, we were sort of thrilled because we were suddenly real filmmakers, you know, driving onto a little lot with a guard at the gate and that kind of thing. And so when Mike started building these sets on, on stage eight, um, I mean, he was a, he, he was like gyro gear loose in the comic books, uh, you know, boom, boom, boom. And he was spray and paint and this and that. And all of a sudden there's the penosaurus cave. And, uh, <clears throat> across the way was the, uh, Ronald McDonald Land, and, and they came over, and they, they liked their our sets better than theirs. <laughs> and, and so I, I soon saw, it as as this was all coming together, I just saw, you know, I, I realized we were making something much, much bigger than we had initially thought we were making. It was just going to be a little 20, it was going to be the biggest porn movie of that time. Like I said, Mona was made for $5,000, mm. but this was going to be for $25,000. But, but we had already gone by the time we were ready to shoot. We were already, we already had, you know, I told you we had that hundred thousand dollars from selling Mona and uh, Hollywood blue. And we had already burned through all of that money just to make the sets, but it was also spectacular. And then minor nude, Dennis Mirren and this and that, and they, they came on to it, and Greg Jean, uh, everybody, you know, heard about the, all these young people who were nobodies at the time, mm. heard about the Flesh Gordon movie, and, and uh, they, they were into, you know, special effects and animation, and uh, people just kind of kept at being added into the thing. Rick Baker, who, you know, became Mr., uh, you know, did Planet of the Apes and all of that. He was just a kid, and he he wound up making the Penosaurus costume. You know, uh, it just it just kept growing and growing and growing. And um, then you know, then Jim Danforth came on, and you know, the guy at Cinema's Research said, you know, it was the it was the best animation he had seen since Ray Harryhausen, and so it it was a spectacular. You know, this little $25,000 picture suddenly grew into something that was, you know, what other movie has a Penosaurus? <laughs> uh, I can't think of any. Yeah. So, it, you know, like, you know, like uh, there there was uh, the recent Cannes Festival. I guess there was a 3D porn movie that was presented. And somebody in the, co uh, the comment section on one of the blogs said, you know, nothing will ever compared to Flesh Gordon, which I saw in Leicester Square in 1975. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I said, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, how, how many movies 40 years later? I mean, you know, I still get a nice royalty from my, you know, not not mega bucks, but, you know, mm -hmm. uh, not nothing to be complained about from uh, my, my video CD distributor. Mm-hmm. And and that was kind of a story because you know the, the whole thing sort of had to, had dissolved and it, the, the movie was being pirated in and I didn't know what was going on and this and that and this guy calls me up from uh, from Indiana from Fort Wayne Indiana and I you know I said Jesus you know who in the hell in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for, you know, Indiana is one of the most conservative states in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, how, how could somebody from Fort Wayne want to be distributing a porn movie? But at that point, uh, I had no, I, you know, it was just being 
pirated it, and I had no idea what was going on, and he took it over, and he totally revived it. And, uh, you know, so now it just keeps going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. And, <laughs> um, you know, and they, like you said, you know, then how can you explain these things? So much of life is just, you know, standing at the right place at the right time. Mm. That's true, but also doing something about it. When you made Flash Gordon, I mean, I read about all the all the problems and everything that went wrong and things that didn't come together, or like with the police or with material that was lost and everything. Was there ever a point where you thought, I'll just give up? Yeah, there were a couple of points. <laughs> One when Jim Danforth, the animator, Uh, you know, told me he was quitting, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and I went over to his house, and Jim had a sort of a reputation. He was a very nice guy, but he had a reputation of being hard to work with, and uh, and he said he was quitting. He didn't want to be involved with anymore, and uh, and he wouldn't change his mind. And I was almost in tears, <laughs> and I and I looked. I looked so depressed and down that as I was starting to walk out of the door that he suddenly had a change of heart and said, look it, I'll, I'll finish the scene. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then of course, the other thing was when I, when, when we discovered that, uh, you know, when the, when the police raided our vaults, you know, on one of their phony premises, they were, they went into our vault and they took, you know, they just, threw everything all over the place and they there was no uh, no reason for them to have validity to take flesh gordon but they decided to take the flesh gordon negative they 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 knew what they were doing they were trying to at all costs to bring me down to its you know to put me out of business and at that time i mean i had those charges against me the 15 years and i was still under you know Uh, I had to finish the film, otherwise I didn't have money to keep paying for lawyers, and you know I, I well could have wound up in jail if I didn't finish the film. Mm -hmm. But uh, when when the we had everything finally together and this and that, and then the negative cutter is starting to cut the negative, and he said, "Oh, a couple rolls are missing," and I you know went over and I checked every box and. Sure enough, they were missing, and I looked at the you know everywhere I could look, and I got our lawyer to get the police to open up their vault, thinking maybe they missed giving us a box back. But then it became evident that what they had done is uh, they just took a couple of, of rolls and and tossed them into the garbage mm -hmm. because the, you know there was they were just so widely you know from the from the period that they were shot. So I, said, oh, I mean, I, I didn't know what to do, quite frankly. And I didn't come into the office for three days. And then Walter Sitchie, I, you know, he he was still he came into the office and he was going. Fortunately, we had we shot with two cameras. We had we had two eclair cameras, and mm -hmm. I you know I shot the main one, and then then my uh, assistant Lynn Rogers was shooting another one. And Walter went through the footage, and and uh, we had an Egyptian Muslim who was our editor, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, I mean, he wasn't a hardcore Muslim; he was Egyptian. And uh, anyway, Lynn, uh, uh, Walter's going through all the outs, 
and he found shots that could cover all the things that were thrown that we had lost that were missing that we had lost and uh you know and the boss was able to cut them together and there was only a couple of scenes that had to be uh recreated you know but that's why you know i don't know if you recall there was a uh well fortunately there was still the uh, the effects people had kept a lot of the sets bob costa in particular had kept a lot of the flats from the original sets out at the lot that we were shooting the special effects in and mm -hmm. so i was able to rebuild some stuff and you know and then i i was living in laurel canyon and i was able to rebuild uh, the little the little airplane in the beginning and um one of judy's uh, boyfriends was a, a german guy who's who was sort of enamored with sound and he he did the sound for the reshoots out in our backyard <laughs> and uh you know and and of course some of the people uh, dale uh, the, the girl dale arter was gone and so i put my wife uh in her costume and i just shot her from behind so you couldn't see her face so i i did a lot of little tricks to make it work and uh Another little thing we had, you know, the jewel check thing where, we, if you remember where the, the paste, power pastry, pasty is stuck up the, mm -hmm. the girl's vagina. And, and so I, I, I was very skillful at using diopters, split field diopters. I was, you know, the fact that I had never had any film training, but I had, uh, you know, a very scientific mind and I was very curious about this stuff. So I knew how to use split field diopters so i could set up a shot where i could put the jewel chick right up you know three inches three inches from the lens of the cam of the camera which i i'm laying on the ground and so her face is covering three-fourths of the of the frame and then the other out in the distance is flesh gordon against the wall we had one panel of the of the castle wall mm -hmm. So by using that racked out, you know, zoom lens and the split field diopter, I could com I could compose a shot that made it work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's amazing. So you know, and then you know, and then what a lot of people don't know is uh, the Dennis Miran, uh, like uh, was one of our Bob Costa had told me, well, you should have a director of special effects and. Uh, I didn't, you know, why do I need that? You know, I didn't even know what a special effect was when we started the movie. And Dennis, so, so anyway, we hired Dennis to be the the, the chief, uh, the guy to put the shots together. And uh, and, and he was just developing his, uh, his ideas about computerized special effects. And Flesh Gordon was the first, uh, was the first movie to use computerized animation. Uh-huh. And uh, that, that Amora scene where the, the 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 ship is flying across the cosmos uh, was it was set up. You know, he had a track, and it was all computerized, and the camera mm -hmm. moved a little quick, 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 and the back you know thing moved. And then, of course, Dennis Miran would went on to do Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Lost Ark, and I know when I last checked. He had more Academy Awards than anybody in Hollywood. <laughs>
yeah, I think generally the, the whole crew of uh, Flash Gordon, like the special effects crew, has, I don't know, 15 or 20 Academy Awards between them. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what <laughs> I, I think when you say, you know, why is it still so popular? Because it, you know, it's still so unusual. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it was, um, you know, and, and to put, I mean, if, if somebody would put that a crew like that together today, which they do, you know, with Star Wars and what have you, uh, but it would cost millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, we made that whole movie for, um, you know, I really don't know how much it cost because so much of money was, it was, it was somewhere around four or $500,000. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then we, I, you know, I had this little, slip of paper i'm paying everybody you know fifty dollars and oh you i owe here's 50 i owe you 100 and blah 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 and that caused a lot of tension at the end mm-hmm. but somehow we got it done <laughs> yeah you kind of had the same hopes for flesh garden too i think when i read your book it, it sort of sounds like you were disappointed at how the whole thing um well just went away basically I, I was, but now that I look back on it, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny that you, you know, you say you saw Flesh Gordon too, and then there's a writer in Italy that's writing a thing about Flesh Gordon too, mm-hmm. and I saw some reviews uh, that I, I, I found on the internet, which had nice things to say about it, but it was the reaction to Flesh Gordon too was just so opposite to what. Maurice and I and everybody involved had expected, and and maybe I'm wrong, but I think we we ran right into the middle of the uh, of the political correctness movement, mm. <laughs> and suddenly, I mean, you know, what kind of girl would want to do something like that? And another, you know, said, you know, well, the special effects look looks like they could, you know, could be made from things that were found in the top. It, it, stuff in the top drawer of the desk, and it was, it, you know, it was just all negative, negative, negative. Mm. And like I say, um, y- you know, humor. That part of it was my fault as a director. I, you know, I've had a little hearing uh, ringing in my ears that started about that time, and mm-hmm. it made made it hard for me to concentrate sometimes. And, you know, and also, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, I, now I understand what makes comedy a lot better than what I did then. And, I, you know, I did manage to get some things. But, but I, you know, I, I look like at Mel Brooks and Masters of Comedy, and they know how to, if they got a joke that's working, they know how to work it till, you know, to, to death. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I suffered from thinking that being subtle and understated People would see what you were trying to do, but <laughs> but people don't see what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. You got to pound it at them. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's often the case. I mean, there are a lot of movies where people just didn't get what it was all about. Have you ever thought about making a third Flesh Gordon film? Yeah, it's been Maurice mentions it once in a while, but um, I kind of think you know that's run its course. And you know, I, I I personally don't have the energy to do that anymore. I mean, that writing this book has taken took a lot, a lot, a lot of energy out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I realize that all that looking at a screen and writing all day and it makes your eyes puffy and sore. And, and you know, and I'm 76, and 
uh, you know, and like, like I was said in the beginning, your your sexual energy goes down. And I always say there's three there's three things that make you know you see smiles on people's face. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but people have smiles when they're eating and when they're sleeping and having a nice dream and when they're fucking. <laughs> you know, and and unfortunately, you, you know the fucking just you know, your body wears out. I mean, it's like uh, there's no air in the tires, and you still think about it all the time, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you can't help look, and, you, you know, and you still masturbate and this and that. But the whole, the idea of having uh, quickies, is, <laughs> you know, you just know you'd be, you know, I also when, you know, you get old, I mean, there's a, uh, there's there's something wonder there's something wonderful about a young girl. That's why young men are always trying to find young girls because uh, even though older women are are still very can still be very attractive, they can never compete with a young girl. Mm. And the same with men. I mean, a friend, you know, like I'm at the golf course and some guy will say, "Old oh, guy, you know, in his seventies, and see some woman." And, couple fairways over and oh man I'd like to get together with that and <laughs> I always remember a line that I stole from Wes Craven and and it goes something like I, I say to my the guy who's ogling at the girl and I say yeah she's looking back at you she's saying to her friend you know Mary if I could be with that old fossil over there I would never <laughs> ask God for anything else <laughs> And you know, and that's the reality. I mean, you know, you look at Hugh Hefner, and you know, that poor girl. That had a, you know, she's doing it for the money, but you know, guys that think that beautiful girl is climbing into bed with him because she finds him attractive. You've got a, something's wrong with your brain. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> that's why I, you know, I say in my book, you, you know, hey. While you're young and can you know and and it goes on for a long time. I mean, you can have while you while it's there and you can enjoy it, enjoy it, mm. because there's nothing worse than looking back and you know, like I said before, looking thinking about the girls that you passed up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.